Let's imagine the not-too-distant future. You feel more in control of your photos than you ever have before. You look forward to the regular creative dates on your calendar. You're moving forward on that project that means so much to you. You are on fire with inspiration, and you are finally scrapbooking consistently. This is not a hypothetical, it's a real-life possibility. And for the first time, I've created a workshop specifically focused on the problem of consistency. It's called Sparked, and I'm excited to share it with you for free. Visit simplescrapper.com sparked to get access to the training and make this possibility your reality. This is so spot on and so consistent with what I recommend today and, and really the essence of Scrapbook Your Way, of, of taking that moment to think about what your life is like right now uh, and aligning your expectations with reality. Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 14. In this episode, I'm exploring whether I agree with the advice I gave five years ago on YouTube. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. This is going to be a fun episode. So much of the scrapbooking industry revolves around trends. But here at Simple Scrapper, I like to think of what we do as pretty timeless. In this episode, I'll be playing excerpts from my weekly pep talks, a series of video podcast episodes I hosted way back in 2013. For each excerpt, I'll share my reaction and critique how well that advice holds today. Now, I will link the playlist of these videos in the show notes, but please, pretty please, don't go watch them. I'm proud of putting myself out there on video, but I do cringe quite a bit looking back. The audio is plenty for you to get the gist. But before we get to that, I want to share two things that are exciting me right now. The first thing I want to mention is Canva. Canva is a graphic design tool that's both a website and an app. And I've been using this for a lot of my social media graphics for the past three to four years. Now, I know how to use Photoshop, but I find that using Canva is so much faster and easier for, I don't know, 90% of what I do. There's still a certain degree of things that I definitely use Photoshop for, but for really fast applications, I use Canva. Um, I've been using Canva in particular for my Instagram stories during the 100 day project. So if you see my Instagram stories, I have a little like almost kind of a Polaroid style frame for my photo with a little caption. And I'm doing all of that in Canva. And I want to make it clear here, this podcast is never sponsored by a third party. This is just the thing that was exciting me right now, legitimately that popped into my mind that I wanted to share with you. I also want to share just a bit more about Refresh. I talked quite a bit about it in our last episode. But we're right in the middle of the spring session right now, and I just love seeing what our members come up with because they are so talented at personalizing this experience, using the prompts as a springboard into their own creativity and 
fulfilling their own plans and priorities. Because that's what this is all about. The whole point of Refresh and really the whole point of everything we do here at Simple Scrapper is to give you what you need to be successful, to tell your stories in a way that works well for you so that you can feel productive and forward moving. So it's never too late to become a member. And if you'd still like to join us, you can get access to the Refresh Classroom and continue on with us throughout this year. You just have to go to simplescrapper.com slash membership to do that. All right, now let's get into this episode. This is going to be fun slash funny slash a little weird. <laughs> okay, let's do this. The first episode is how to cope when you mess it all up. Here's the excerpt. So in this week's pep talk, I want to talk to you about letting go of your screw-ups and your mess-ups and your failures. So yesterday, I was working on a project. I was working on the cover page for a 2013 album that I'm starting, and it's using the Project Life products, but it's not really doing Project Life. But as I was putting together a card about with my family members' names and our ages, I totally screwed up. The first time I tried to print on this card, I had a little border that was that I was using as a template on my um, piece of printer paper, and I ended up printing the border on the card. And it was it, it totally ruined the card, and I was so disappointed. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's just one card. I can throw it away. It's not a big deal. And so then I took another card, and I tweaked my fonts a little bit, and I made it fit that card. And I don't even have that one to show you because I cut it up in hopes of saving it and it's now destroyed in pieces in my trash. And on that one, I had written my stepson's age is 18. And you can see on this car, I did it as 18 as well. And he's actually only 17. He thinks he's 18, but he's not. And so that card was messed up too. And by this time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything right. So what I did is I started packing up all my stuff. I started cleaning things up. I got rid of all my my bits and pieces, all my trash. I started putting all of my supplies away, thinking I have to put this aside and I can't work on it right now because I'm so, you know, I'm so frustrated that I messed up. I need to just let it go and move on. Even if there was going to be a hole on my cover page for now. And as I was almost done cleaning up, I started to get a new idea for how I could salvage this this little card and make something different and create a new card that had our names and our ages on it for 2013. And it's not the original vision I had, but I think I like it even better. And the way that I got to this was by accepting that I made a mistake letting go of it. I can't fix it. It's done with. And then moving on. I started through the process of cleaning up. Whoa, holy deep breathing. It's amazing what five years of health and wellness can do for being able to not breathe that heavily on a podcast episode. My first reaction here is, wow, that's a great idea. Maybe these aren't going to be that bad after all. I think that this strategy of taking a pause and 
trying to find a way to release whatever pent up frustrations you have always works. Whether you are having a frustration in your scrapbooking or elsewhere in your life, when you can stop and redirect your energies to something else, particularly of something that feels productive, you might find yourself calmed down enough and recentered enough so that you can achieve the thing at hand. Or as we talked about, I think it was on last week's episode, that when you put something aside, you can come back to it later. So giving yourself that permission to say, okay, not now. And maybe the return time is very quick, quick again, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's tomorrow. But giving yourself that permission to stop when there's a lot of friction. All right, let's move on to episode two. Move forward by making it simpler. So for this week's pep talk, I want to talk to you a little bit about changing up a project to better meet your needs, to have a project evolve over time, and to just overall simplify things so that you can get it done in a way that makes you happy and saves a little time. And I'm going to use the example of my Week in the Life album. Well, clearly this is a pattern for me. Week in the Life is a project that has a lot of photos and a lot of documentation that goes with it. And so a more simplified approach or an approach that uses repetition is going to be one that I'm going to turn to myself and recommend again and again. So I'm glad to see that I've uh, maintained that consistency. Let's keep listening. I first attempted this project in 2009, and I took all the photos, but didn't really do anything with it. And then in 2010, I went whole hog, and I created a whole digital album with, um, let's see, I think I did one page per day. I might have even done two pages per day for my Week in the Life album. And I had lots of journaling and things I captured from social media, and I took a ton of pictures, and I just, I went whole hog with it. And I was really happy with the result. You know, I had these pages in an album for me, and I even created a photo book to share with my mom. But the thing is, when I went back the next year to try to do Week in the Life, I didn't have that kind of time or energy anymore. The time I was pregnant, I was very pregnant, and I just didn't want to go to that level of detail. And then in 2012, I had a baby who was still pretty small and very active, and she was still at home with me every day. And I just didn't have that kind of time to put into a Week in the Life album. I did some documentation, but for the most part, I was just taking photos. And so what it came down to, and I was thinking about this recently, is that it doesn't matter if I do a full spread like this and do a whole album, or if I do something a little simpler. The whole point of this project is to capture lots of little details of your everyday life, Uh, in a short period of time, whether that's a day or a week, and to just give a snapshot of what your life was like at that and during that year. And so what I did is I went into Lightroom and I created a little template where I could put 36 photos on one page. And it was just a little photo collage, and I haven't printed these yet to show you. And they'll be 8x8, so they can go in this album with my other Week in the Life projects, but they will... There are shorter and easier way that I can get things done. Wow, eight by eight. I have not thought about or used that size in quite a while. I love the compact nature of it, and it was my favorite way to print digital layouts. But the advent of, I would say, pocket pages and nine by twelves and six by eights and this whole universe of these multiples of 
threes uh, sizes, I think, led me to doing more of that and less of the eight by eight. I would like to see it come back though someday um, because it is a nice, cute little compact size. And I can use this template again in the future for this year's Week in the Life. And I can just have this album of little glimpses into our life when I want. And if I want to go into the details and do a longer project for Week in the Life, I can. But by finding that little shortcut that allowed me to reach my goal, which was capturing a week in the life, but doing it faster and easier in a way that I still loved, still gives me a lot of satisfaction and totally meets my needs. This is so spot on and so consistent with what I recommend today and and really the essence of Scrapbook Your Way, of, of taking that moment to think about what your life is like right now uh, and aligning your expectations with reality. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all, but just being really realistic about what you have, the time, energy, motivation, and creative mojo for, and planning your projects in accordance so that you are so that you are more likely to finish and the process feels more effortless. Well, this is going much better than I expected. Let's dive into episode three. Stop multitasking. It doesn't work. So this week, I want to talk to you about multitasking. For a lot of years, people said that multitasking is the best way for you to get a lot of things done. Really? Did they? Did they really say that? I am not convinced that the prevailing wisdom has ever been that multitasking really works. Okay, I'll shut up. Let's listen. But I think what we found is that by dividing your focus, dividing your attention, you actually get less done and the quality of your work suffers. And so I've been working on this a lot myself. And that's when I want to do something, I actually do just that thing. I turn off my phone. I close browser windows. I put everything aside. I even let my family members know I'm working on this thing right now. And I try to eliminate as many distractions as possible so that I can focus and get this thing done. And yes, I agree. It's totally hard. There's always things that you forget. Something's pinging at you. And oh, I forgot I want to Google this thing. That's probably one of my biggest challenges. But I've found that when I can kind of eliminate all that distraction and really focus on what's at hand, I can get it done in just a fraction of the time I become more excited about it. I get, I channel more creative energy into it. And the finished product is that much better when I can just really concentrate. So I still agree with this, but I think the problem has really only gotten worse in the past five years. So much that I think I've learned to cope with all the noise, all the pinging, all the distractions, and find other ways to focus without too much effort to really eliminate the distractions, that actually takes time. And it can be yet that much more time to ramp it all back up again when you need to reconnect, if that makes sense. It's almost too burdensome because we do have this expectation of being so connected all the time, for, for better or worse. And so I think today, I prefer to use rewards now rather than than consistently closing things out that I will say, okay, as soon as I finish this thing, I can go X. I can go get a cup of coffee. I can watch a YouTube video. I provide some sort of carrot 
so that I buckle down, get the thing done, take a little break, and then come back and, and repeat the process again. This is kind of the Pomodoro technique, though I don't necessarily use particular spans of time for my attention. It's more project or task oriented. I'm going to work on this thing until I'm done and, and really trying to focus on the one thing at a time. So that's that's how I single task by just focusing on what is the thing that I'm working on and not thinking about all the other distractions, tabling those for later. But I definitely agree that whatever it is that you need to do, it's important whether you're trying to focus on your scrapbooking or you're trying to focus on all your other obligations so that you can get to your scrapbooking later, that that sense of focus and concentration really is important. So this next episode is a little different. I actually did two different episodes in this series with my husband, and it was super fun to get his perspective on scrapbooking and memory keeping. And he doesn't hold back. He's very opinionated. And of course, I have some opinions to share as well. We're here in the Menards parking lot on Sunday afternoon. And my husband and I were having a conversation about memory keeping and how to focus on what really matters most and simplify your experience. So I was telling him a little bit about the weekly pep talk and invited him to be our, um, let's say, guest lecturer this week. And so I will turn the camera on him and ask him, This is my, his name is Steve, to tell you a little bit about his experience as, you know, just a family memory keeper and what he thinks that we scrapbookers should be doing with our photos. Hi, everybody. Um, Jennifer and I have this conversation actually quite frequently because, um, to me, um, I'm practical about things or try to be. And what I want to see are the photos. And um, so when I see a scrapbook page that has, you know, a little photo the size of my thumb um, and the rest of it's all embellishment and, you know, fancy colors and all kinds of designs, um, that frustrates me because um, to me the focus is supposed to be on memory keeping. And so the conversation we've had a lot of times is um, what you really, to me, what you should be doing is telling the story to, for your kids or your grandkids. And um, so, for instance, one of my favorite things to do, uh, my dad's passed away, and he used to take a lot, every picture he took was with 35 millimeter slide film. And so going all the way back to when he was in the Army in the 50s, um, we've got 35 millimeter slides of all the things he did on weekends when he went traveling and um, on weekend passes and all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing more fun and interesting than to sit down with an old slide projector and go through those. And we do it maybe once every two years or so. So there's a lot to tease apart here. First off, I'm really glad that the trend of super tiny photos with lots of embellishments has, was a, a relatively short-lived trend. Now, we certainly do fun projects that use smaller photos, particularly if we want to get a lot of pictures on a page. But that, that trend of one tiny little photo with lots of embellishments, which was particularly popular in digital, um, fortunately, is, is not quite as prevalent as it was back then. And I think it's part of the reason was exactly what Steve described is despite uh, the creative fulfillment from that process, uh, what you're left with is not something of an equivalent value um, from a, a memory and legacy uh, standpoint. And I think people realize that, that it can be fun to make, but when you have albums and albums full of that, what legacy are you really leaving? 
Um, and I don't mean to sound heavy handed about it, but I, I think I, I agree with Steve and continue to feel that um, on the same page with a more legacy focused perspective on our scrapbooking um, a little bit stronger than the creative fulfillment part. Um, in terms of Steve's heritage photos, we actually can't find that slide deck right now, the, the metal slide reel. We were looking for it a couple weekends ago, um, but he has started to make some progress on uh, the physical prints of our heritage photos, um, in part due to his own interest in genealogy. And of course, I'm super supportive of that. We're, we're doing some research on my family as well. But I think this is a great example of looking for a way to to hook your family in by following their own interests in, in whatever side of memory keeping, you know, fascinates them or interests them. And it's a way to get them involved in the process more naturally. So the conversation shifts gears here. And I asked Steve about whether he thinks we're taking or saving too many photos. And his response is really interesting. You know, it's so easy today because you don't have to buy film to take a bazillion photos. And you know, I do it too, but I think trying to go through 50 photos of the same thing to find the perfect shot, no one, you know, down the road, it's, it makes it almost, um, not real because you're taking all the perfect photos. This is the perfect example, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, when I look at all the old pictures my mom and dad have, um, and my mom had surgery, I spent three days scanning all of her old photos, some of them, some of them from you know the 20s and things like that. Um, most of those pictures aren't even close to perfect. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, they're not balanced, they're not centered, um, but no one looks at that. When my mom's showing me those photos and telling me a story of her great uncle, she's talking about the memory she has, not about how great the picture is. And so I do think if you're really trying to focus and simplify what you're doing, you need to focus more on a picture that really has, you know, the, the heart of what is going on and not worry so much about, you know, I can't use this because the lighting isn't quite perfect. I'm going to have to throw this away or wait till another time to take a picture. I think that's ridiculous, personally. All right. I have some mixed feelings about all of this, but let's let's break it down. So first off, Steve talks about narrowing down the number of photos um, to just the best ones. And while I, I see his point that what's most important is the photo that captures the meaning, the story behind it, and, and I try to do that, even if it's not the most technically perfect photo, I do think there's a huge value in narrowing down that quantity from 50 to 5, not necessarily 50 to 1, but 50 to 10 or 50 to 5, whatever it is to make it a smaller batch just so it's manageable because we take so many photos, like oftentimes thousands of photos a month that it just, our libraries are growing so large. And even if our hard drives can technically store those, it just becomes this, this kind of overwhelming burden to manage. And, and so I do think it's important to, to curate your library to a certain degree, at least deleting all the junk in between those, those burst series of photos that we take. Because um, we often have so much junk, um, screenshots and, and things like that. And I've mentioned those before. Now, the other side of his um, his statement there, I actually feel a little bit of like resistance and, and um, I feel challenged on a little bit. And I'll, I can admit that because I have 
not scrapbooked certain photos that were not as technically, I won't say perfect, but good enough for me. I just thought they were crappy photos and I couldn't even make them better with black and white. And so, yes, I keep them in my photo library, but they don't always get into my scrapbooks. And that's kind of a a personal perfectionist issue um, that he's pointing out. But there, I, I do agree with his underlying point that it is the story, it is the value and the meaning behind it that's most important. And it shouldn't matter at all how technically perfect the photo is. Um, and, and I guess I need to listen to that message and work on how I approach it. As I mentioned, I, I will often make things black and white or, or somehow try to limit the impact on the visual appeal of the page of a, a less than perfect photo. Um, but it is something that, that bothers me some of the times. And, and I can admit that. And I think that's an important conversation we should be having about how we choose photos and how we're kind of retelling the story by which photos we include in our scrapbooks. This was something that was in uh, Mary Carr's book, uh, The Art of Memoir, that we read last month for book club. How every time we choose to tell a personal story and which stories we choose to include and leave out, that shapes the entire narrative. And so I think that's super fascinating to discuss. And of course, our own personal hangups often play into that, whether the story is, whether it's about that imperfect photo or about something that happened that maybe you're not going to scrapbook about. So I love that I have this conversation with Steve captured. And if we do another one of these types of episodes, I'll definitely include the other one. I know he expanded on some of these ideas and, and talked about some other things as well. He's not a scrapbooker himself, but he's very much a memory keeper. He takes twice as many photos as I do, and he has helped me complete some of our albums in the past, um, including an album that we did about our dog that passed away. It was one of those Project Life mini books that, you know, it's uh, bound pages with the three by four and the four by six cards next to each other. So what I did is I found all the photos um, from both of our photo libraries. I inserted blank journaling cards, and then I helped him kind of figure out what how to write the story throughout all those pages. And so he did all the journaling himself, handwritten. And so that's such a treasure to have, particularly for Emily, who only has very faint memories of this, you know, important, important part of our family. Enough on that. Let's move on to episode five. Don't wait for the perfect time. In this week's pep talk, I want to talk to you a little bit about finding pockets of time, little bits of time that you can use to scrapbook to take notes, to write in your journal, to move ahead with your photo editing, or even to take more photos. So as you can see, I'm not in my normal place. I am actually here in the bathroom, and this is my shower curtain. And that's because my parents are visiting this weekend, my daughter's taking a nap, my husband is working, and so we're all kind of in a different scenario than normal. So personally here, this just takes me back. Because at the time I was recording these episodes, we lived in a super tiny rancher, three bedrooms for the million of us, um, my husband, my daughter, and my younger stepson at that time. Um, and it was quite cramped and crowded. It was just, there was just not enough space for the people and the stuff and especially all the baby stuff. 
And so hiding in the bathroom was the best I could do to record this episode. And what I did is I realized that I can find this little bit of time to film a short video for you if I just step out of my normal routine and do something a little different. So you can apply this so much to your scrapbooking and it's something that I actually do all the time as well. And that's when you have just five minutes here and 10 minutes there, you can just grab those little pieces of time to do something that moves you forward. And here's some examples of those kind of things. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to gather my scrapbook supplies during one period of time. Just, you know, I may even have just five minutes. I start to piece things together and then I set it aside. And when I have another little pocket of time, I can start thinking about how I want to arrange those and what the design's gonna look like. Or maybe I'm gonna go and select my photos if I don't have them already in mind. And by realizing you can make these little baby steps forward, you can achieve maybe even a whole layout or a whole, in a day or a whole project in a week if you just kind of grab those pieces of time when you can find them. And that's what I'm doing right here in the bathroom filming this video for you. So here's another example. You know, if you're like a lot of people, you spend time waiting, uh, waiting for your children, waiting for family members, waiting in line in the store, and you have a phone with you, or maybe you even have a tablet with you. And maybe you normally spend that time checking Facebook, maybe posting to Instagram. What you could be doing is really thinking about your scrapbooking. You can do some editing of your photos, just basic editing on your whatever device you have with you. You could be journaling um, just in a notes application or even sending it to the web. You can be kind of organizing all of your thoughts and supplies for a specific project. And you can do that in those little pockets of time. So when I recorded this episode, Instagram was a little less than three years old. It was in its toddler stages. We probably had all of us a little bit more self-control when it came to social media and our hyper-connectedness. We didn't have the super fancy phones that we had now. We had maybe a baby iPhone. I think at this time I still had a Blackberry because um, I was not an early adopter of the iPhone. So life was a little bit different. And and looking back, I, I think this is this is solid advice, but we all know how hard it is to effectively utilize a 5, 10, or 15-minute block. Because we look down at our phones, and all of a sudden, oh, that time's up. The time is gone. It's time to go. Um, I know the other day I sat down in the chair um, I wanted to just take a break uh, as, during a transition between activities. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit here for 20 minutes, um, open up some things on my phone, just relax. Before I knew it, it was time to go. And I felt like I had just sat down. Now, that's not necessarily good, but it is the reality. So the advice that I would give today is a little bit different. It would be mostly to underscore that working on your photos on your phone is one of the easiest and most productive things you can do in these small pockets of time and to use that as your your first go-to, whether that's deleting photos, 
um, uploading them into whatever software you use your or systems like Shutterfly that can help you create photo books or even creating pages with the Project Life app. That that simple baseline management of photos is the most most productive thing you can do and probably not going to have enough time or mental energy to do more unless you're on a car trip or on a plane or something. Um, But if you can kind of redirect yourself to those activities, it's great. But I also think it's important to be realistic and that we maybe as a as a society don't have as much self-control as we have we did you know even just five years ago with how we're using our phones in those pockets of time and instead we might need to be looking at uh, what Jessica Turner calls the fringe hours the early morning or the the evening hours to how can you adjust your plans and expectations and obligations to carve out more time for your hobby or or for other types of leisure activities. The next episode we'll dive into is a foolproof way to get started. And this is something we've been talking about forever and will talk about forever. Okay, so this week I want to talk about what to do when you have trouble getting started. Now we had a chat this morning and I was talking to another scrapbooker and she says she gets all organized, she has everything ready to go, and then she just can't start. And so what do you do when you have that problem? And what I like to do, and what I did just this past week, is I like to challenge myself. I like to put some constraints on my scrapbooking scenario to make it more exciting and more of a game for myself to create some pages. And so what I did is I did two different things. I had a set selection of supplies. I had basically a kit that I created for myself, as well as a goal of scrapping six layouts with just those supplies. And you know what? I did it. I created six layouts here. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, all in one day. I did two in the evening and then four more the next morning. And you know what? I felt so excited and so accomplished from doing that. Wow, you go girl. I don't remember the last time I did six layouts in one sitting or or one small period of time like that. That might have been the last time. I don't know. Um, I am not the most prolific scrapbooker in the entire world. But as I mentioned on last week's episode, Escape Your Creative Funk, gamification is my number one tip for making progress quickly and getting the ball moving again. If you have felt kind of held back or consistently had difficulty getting started using a personal challenge like this, whether it's in quantity or um, a story you're going to tackle or anything where you're following along or at least um, creating a sense of accountability to yourself or to others, you can jump that hurdle and really get into the creative flow quickly. So as I said before this episode started, we're going to be talking about getting started forever and ever, that's always going to be probably the number one creative issue. Um, That's why there's so many books about the creative process. And Julia Cameron talks about your creative inner child throwing these temper tantrums. And Stephen Pressfield talks about this the sense of creative resistance. This is the underpinnings of why we have a whole industry around helping artists and creatives get things done because there's always this activation energy that's needed to get from 
idea to implementation. It's a it's a forever problem and something that will always be dissecting and finding the personal strategies that that work for you and help you. And what we do here at Simple Scrapper is is tie those directly to scrapbooking, which is why we read all of these personal development books in our book club. Now, this segment has a fun title, How to Save Time by Watching TV. So this week, I want to talk about one of my favorite ways for finding more time to scrapbook and squeezing it in. And that's combining my scrapbooking with other enjoyable or favorite tasks. And my favorite one is to do it in front of the TV. So maybe you have trouble fitting scrapbooking into your life, but you don't have trouble watching Grey's Anatomy every Thursday night. Maybe you can combine these two activities together and make it a special me time event where you put on your favorite program or your even another type of favorite activity and bring in the scrapbooking as well so that you are doing two things at once. Now, I don't always recommend multitasking, but this type of more kind of light and fun activity I think is totally worth it, especially if it means you're going to make some progress with your scrapbooking. This can also work if you're kind of spending some casual family time together. Maybe everyone's in the living room reading. Some people are on laptops or iPads and you can bring in your scrapbooking and even make your family part of the experience of getting those memories onto pages. I definitely don't do this enough, but I think it's a great approach to not having to choose between family time and scrapbooking time. And I've heard from so many memory keepers that they love to combine these activities in whatever way works for them so they don't feel pulled in multiple directions. This is especially true if your creative space is, is separate from the family space like mine is. Um, but I also want to add that I think and this is maybe my more um, refined opinion here, is that tasks like fussy cutting, trimming photos, even managing photos to a certain extent, planning out project life pages, kind of less brain power focused activities work best for this type of multitasking where you're, you really do want to pay attention to what's going on in the show, um, but you can have something going on with your hands like you would with, with knitting or, or a similar craft like that. Um, while the show's going on. Um, I don't personally find that the the more serious scrapbooking I do where I'm really doing journaling or, or sharing my feelings and, and really or really getting into this or really getting into the, the design um, works as well in front of the TV, unfortunately. But you might find it different. You might find it, it works perfectly fine. It just depends on your personal needs. Next up, we have episode eight. It's time for a low inspiration diet. Okay, so this week I want to talk just a little bit about inspiration overload. Today, if you're a scrapbooker who's also on the internet, you know there are so many ideas, so many resources out there that it's almost too easy to get overwhelmed by them all. There's too many ideas coming at you and it's hard to focus on actually moving forward with your own projects. And this week I'm going to talk about going on a low inspiration diet. And I wrote an email about this a year ago, so if you were around our community at that time, you may remember that. And a low inspiration diet is where you set up a period of time, maybe it's a week or a month or even just a day, where you try to block out all those excess sources of inspiration. And you turn inward to the inspiration that's already within you, to the inspiration that you already have in your life, in your home, through your photos, and your previous scrapbook works. 
And when you do that, you'll find that you're actually even more inspired because you're not overwhelmed by all those external sources. This is still so important. And I want to add an additional thought that it's important to understand what sources actually inspire you to create that give you new ideas that you actually act on and what sources maybe even bring you down, um, give you comparison feelings or fraudy feelings where you feel lesser than and you don't feel inspired. There's so many ways that we consume information these days and I guarantee you some of those are totally filling you up giving you lots of great new ideas and and approaches for scrapbooking, tips and tricks, and others are not vibing with you. They're not filling you up. They're not filling your bucket. And so I really want to encourage you to make that distinction. Um, Whether or not you're going low inspiration or high inspiration, that understanding is so, so important. Moving on to number nine, when to organize for max creativity. Let's listen. This week, I want to talk a little bit about your scrapbooking stuff. Now, I was talking to a scrapbooker recently who has trouble getting started on her projects. And so I asked her a little bit about her process. And she says that by the time she finishes organizing and putting away all of her supplies and kind of getting ready to scrapbook, she no longer has the motivation to do it. And I think this is a really common problem. And here's why. When you don't put away your supplies, either when you're finished scrapbooking previously or when you acquire new supplies from all that fun shopping, then you have a task to do before you can actually start making something. And one of those tasks is a very left brain organizing logistical task, logical, and the other one, the scrapbooking, requires a lot of your right brain. It's creative. And switching gears from left to right is a big jump for your brain and it's not always easy. So what I recommend is that when you finish a scrapbooking project, you put everything away. I even did this in between layouts. I put everything away and kind of put it all neat and tidy and then I start again with another layout. And I do this even when I get new supplies. I put them away right away so I know that when I want to sit down to scrapbook, everything is all ready to go. And when I have that inspiration, I don't need to kind of turn off that creative side of my brain to go organize first. I love this advice. And I would say that I'm still pretty decent about putting things away, especially after a project, um, and as well as to a certain degree with my new supplies. Um, Sometimes I will wait to even open packages until I know that I'm ready to put it away because I don't want it to be in that, that state of purgatory. Um, but I do really strongly believe in, in separating the the logistical, the left brain tasks, and this can include photo organizing and photo management from the creative process, because oftentimes we use a certain type of energy and our brains are, are working a certain way, and that's not always compatible with uh, creative flow and, and feeling at ease with with constructing things on your page, whether you're digital or paper. And so I definitely still agree with this and would recommend these uh, this advice still today for sure. So continuing on with a similar topic, episode 10 is, honey, it's time to stop the shopping. 
And this is the final episode we'll be talking about today. And I appreciate you indulging me as I as I'm going through here reviewing my own speaking. It feels a little self-indulgent, but hopefully you have found it helpful and learned something new from the process. So this week, I really want to talk about shopping. And we all love shopping and finding new scrapbook supplies and bringing into them into our lives. It's, it's kind of fun. And I think, though, that we sometimes can get a little distracted by shopping. We get an email flyer from a company saying, oh, we have new products. Oh, I'll just go check them out. So when you spend a lot of time window shopping, you can end up with things you don't need, spending more money than you had budgeted for, and even spending some of that precious scrapbooking time on shopping instead of actually making. These types of habits are not good for your scrapbooking productivity. If you're all you're doing is shopping, just like as we've talked about before, if all you're doing is organizing, then you're not actually scrapping. And like everything else so far, this is really still true. However, I would also add scrolling to this. And so it's not just the shopping, it's the internet surfing, the scrolling of Facebook and Instagram. It's just the the continual looking instead of doing. And this connects back to that idea of the low inspiration diet as well. We will often go online in search of inspiration, wanting to get jazzed up, if you will, to scrapbook. And we end up spending all that time looking and then we're too tired or have wasted too much time to actually get anything done. So I often recommend using that gamification approach again to get started right away before you ever get online and then use a little window shopping or actual shopping as a reward for getting something done. Or jumping onto the Simple Scrapper community and sharing what you've made with others to get that those kind of feel-good accountability feelings and then go back and do something else. If there's only one thing that you take away, it's that you need to think about what's going to actually get you creating. What are What's the set of circumstances that really help facilitate your creative productivity? What makes it fun for you and what makes it happen? And when you can identify that, that's your secret to scrapbooking. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you hopped over to the show notes page, simplescrapper.com slash SYW014 and left a comment. I'm curious which of these tips you're most excited about and what you think of this format. To be honest, I didn't expect there to be so much good content here. I mean, it's five years old. I was such a newbie in so many ways. I also was quite in the fog of new motherhood. But I think this is going to turn into a series I'd like to do every so often, if you like it. We'll revisit practical advice I've already shared um, from these this series of videos and maybe some other content as well. But that's it for this week. And if you've not yet followed me on Instagram, I'm at Simple Scrapper. That's the very best place to keep up with what's going on at Simple Scrapper and in my own memory keeping life. I share a mix of creative inspiration, scrapbooking tips, storytelling ideas, and personal productivity advice on my account. And just like this podcast, we keep it scrappy over on Instagram. Thank you for listening. And remember, you have permission to scrapbook your way.